everything lost will be renewed long ago in the garden it was to be now a dream fulfilled in you and me hey guys i've got some bonus content for you um, I know I just finished the season, but um, right after recording the final episode of this season, I had many thoughts on the subject of spiritual sight. So I decided to go a little deeper and connect with some other aspects in the biblical context and give a somewhat broader theological explanation. Um, the next week, the very next week at church, because I had so many ideas and so many notes in my in my notebook um, and was just ready to, to speak on many things that I didn't cover in the podcast. And so this is what I, I ended up sharing. And so I'm going to put that here in addition to giving um, some more perspective on how this how important this topic is the uh, the spiritual sight that we have that we must have and understanding the things in our life that we do the choices the way we live that limit that and and are not compatible with biblical life and um so and many just how it touches on many areas of following Jesus this topic is very broad it covers so much things and um so let's just go right into that video now the new song um, again and again, when you start looking into the different passages, and there's quite a few of them that use that same terminology, and um, it has to do with they're talking about what God just did over and over and over again. And that's what, so singing a new song doesn't have to do with so much directly, obviously writing a song, their culture developed that. And, and I don't know, you know, they apparently already had it developed when they were slaves. And cause when they came out, they started singing a new song and Miriam danced with, and, and they sang the horse and riders are cast into the sea and their, their culture has this way of doing things. And you, if you read um, like Tolkien, you know, in in his Middle Earth mythology, he he has this this culture that he's developed, and they sing songs about every all the different acts. And whenever something happens, they have this long ballad. And and when you're reading the book, it almost you're like, okay, he really put a lot of thought into this because you're reading the story, and then all of a sudden you have two pages of a ballad that he wrote. And um, it's it's something that I think modern culture doesn't hold on to as much, or at least in in America. Because we're, everything's, we've got recordings, we got movies, we got all the different, different stuff. But culturally, this is a special thing because it, it commemorates different things that happen in your life. And when God's talking about it, He's talking about commemorating, it's declaring and, and writing about what He just did. And so when we're told to write a new song or sing a new song, it's because we are encountering God's hand. It's, it's not something you can just decide, okay, we're going to write a new song. It's a song talking about what God is doing, what he's currently done, right? It's not singing about the, the glories that he did with Abraham. It's not singing about Moses. It's singing about what he's doing right now. That's what a new song, why it's so important. Because if you are just simply thinking and simply um, being inspired by, which is not bad, but if that's all you're getting, then you are not able to sing a new song. There are, there are things that, that are essential and we must have that current event. If we're not actually encountering God, we, sh we should have, whether we sing songs, whether we, we personally or our family or our culture grabs a hold of, of writing and singing our own songs, you must be having that encounter with God. 
that real alive encounter, not I know that the glory of God, I know that God's real, but God is absolutely moving on the waters. He is currently moving and flowing and bringing his life. And so this is, this is absolutely, it's one of the, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was 700 or 800 times singing or music is mentioned in the scriptures. It's, more, it's mentioned more often than love. And so this is something God gave us, uh, you know, not to just talk on, on music, but the purpose that God put into music, it has, it has been, you know, can you imagine a universe without it? Can, can you imagine what life would have been? Um, and, you know, they talk about the Greeks um, inventing and or, or defining our scales and music, but music was long before the Greeks, whether they understood it or not. Some people say, well, David had this three strings or whatever on, on his harp. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that that was the case. We have, we have musical instruments going all the way back to um, the third person in the world, right? Cain made musical instruments, I believe. And, and so music has been in creation and in people for a very, very long time. And it's not, you know, those of you who are familiar with Bill and Ted, very deep inspirational uh, film series, um, you do yourself a great service to watch those. Um, gather your family around and take notes. <laughs> Bill and Ted is a, is an, well, they just finished the series up with another movie recently, but it was in the, in the 80s. One of um, these, it was a, a stoner comedy type. They, these guys are all about music and they're rock and roll heads and, and they, they think music, they, they get told by these people from the future. It's not, not going to spoil anything if you want to watch this. Um, they get told by these people from the future that they will at some point, and so these people are protecting them and trying to save them from being killed because at some point they're going to form a band and they're going to write the song that unifies uh, or brings alignment to the universe and brings world peace. And so these people of the future are trying to protect them so that they can live long enough to write the song and not be killed by other people who were trying to kill them from the future because they, they want to stop this alignment from happening. Um, quite amusing, um, great films. Go watch them. Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Great movies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, <laughs> Keanu Reeves plays in, in these movies. The, um, but the, the idea that music will, will be what is used to bring world peace is is that you know that's a, a comedy idea in that movie but the idea of what music can and should be in the universe is something that God actually brings out again and again and he uses this because music when it is truly um it has, has so many levels now, I don't want to say truly as if as if other things are not but has anybody ever heard a song like um, Ben Rector's uh, Thanksgiving, 
where they hear this, where you hear the song, and and it doesn't matter what they're singing about because the words that they're singing are maybe depicting something in their own life, but it immediately transforms you or tra- <laughs> transports you to a moment in your life, instantly, or or your family, the way that you've done things. And the song just connects. It just brings you right there. And so for whatever reason, you don't even, you know, just instantly, you don't even have to know what the words he's singing. You hear just one mention of, of, of a melody even can, can transport your heart and your mind to this place. And that's, that's um, nostalgic. It's sentimental. It's, um, it brings memories of your childhood with your family. Um, and it, it um, connects you forever with those people, those places, and maybe the person singing the song too. Forever you'll be able to hear that voice and you'll always be connected to it because it has a power to accomplish something um, that is far greater than the sum of its parts. It has the ability to do something um, that no amount of talking about it could have done, no amount of reminiscing would have done. It has a power to bring you, and great art of any kind has, has this on some of those, but music, uniquely, God gave it to us. It's a gift of the, to, in the universe. God gave it to us to be able to accomplish these things that can't be accomplished and so um, through any other means. And so this is something that is one of the... <laughs> um, one of the powers that God has that Satan can't really get rid of because it has a power that is not something that can be touched. It can't be changed. So not to get too metaphysical or, or weird with, with art, but it has this, this amazing ability to connect straight to your spirit. Learning to connect with that, learning to operate and get past the levels of what we understand. Just um, whether it's just a beautiful song, or whether it's 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 just a song that is teaching us that is, is declaring the, the the greatness of God, but getting beyond that to the place of what of the potential that music has. And so, singing a new song is connecting, and it's and it's intended to draw us, just like a sentimental song about different things. Worship in, in the presence of God of a new song is intended to transport us out of our daily life into the movement and the purposes of God. Together, though, it allows us to unite. Having sight in the Spirit, having the ability to see, um, ultimately... I, th- I think that <clears throat> we can't really function as a believer. That is the difference of a regenerated person having the connection with God, being regenerated. And it's a growing process. It's something that we learn to connect with. But having sight, having eyes to see, Jesus uses that term, having, having the sight to see beyond what is just right in, that we can touch, see, smell, all those of these things, having the sight to see beyond it, we're not able to truly function. 
because this is the life. This is, this is the growing. This is, this is the, the becoming alive in God is, is that process of being able to go beyond that and see more and then interact with that and bring heaven to earth. This is all the process. And so it the idea of a new song and understanding what music is, what art is, and what, how it, how it, why God mentions it so many times. And I've said this many times. He doesn't tell us a whole lot of things that we're supposed to absolutely do. But singing is one of those things that he tells us to do. He doesn't say to... Um, to kneel down and stand up and say, you know, say prayers. It doesn't tell us to, to formally gather in rows of seats. It doesn't tell us to do, you know, hardly any of those, anything that we may, might um, participate in. But he does tell us to sing. So this is, this is definitely one of the gifts and, and things that God designed to connect us to be able to respond to his leadership, to his heart. And it also allows us to connect with people over space and time. Um, when you hear a song that was written by somebody else and you sing it and you listen to it and you play it and you come together, it allows you to connect with the heart that God did and is doing with someone you will never meet. A group of people that you may never, ever fellowship with. It transports us into the same place spiritually. It can, it should, and it needs to put us right in that same place. And I talk about that a lot of times with the spiritual realm. It's real. It's not an imaginary thing. We have sci-fi and we have so many different ideas in our minds because of, and it's fun, I love these things, but a lot of times we equate it with it's fantasy, but it's not, it's real. And so movement, which the Bible talks about moving in the spirit, walking in the spirit, all these things are real. They're just depictions that, that, that describe things that we do to let us give a, get a picture of it, of what it, so obedience to the things of God moves you. It, you are walking. You're going from one place to another in a, a spiritual realm that is real and true as you obey as you follow through those things and as you connect, actually, especially as you respond and your spirit is regenerated and you connect to God and it's made alive and these things are so real for the first time, you're able to see, you're able to get a glimpse. And sometimes that's just, you know, just a little thing, just a little glimpse. But as you walk in it, you begin to understand, you, got to, you get to see and know the things that are there, the things that God has placed there that are just beyond the veil. And so even, even our need for salvation, even our need for salvation is something that awakening, having our eyes opened into the spiritual realm that God does. He stirs us up for, by whatever means that it is in our life that you recognize that you need and you start to encounter God on this level. That's an awakening. It's a, it's a seeing into the spiritual realm. Now, One of the things that I encounter when, talk, when talking about this is, is a lot of people refer to things, according to the scriptures, but um, our carnal minds. Carnal minds um, is something that I believe gets, <laughs> gets misrepresented or conflated often. Um, the carnal mind is not the human brain. 
Just let's just get that clear. So if, when you hear the, this discussed or you think about it and you're reading the scriptures, it is not the human brain. Um, it's your sinful nature. When you have all of humanity was made subject to evil and sin through Adam, and we have grown accustomed to living um, apart from God. Your sinful nature, and I use these terms very carefully because there's a lot of theology around them and that, that I don't necessarily subscribe to. I do not buy the notion of that is taught uh, about our sinful nature. I don't, I don't subscribe to um, original sin theology. Um, I will use that term um, if somebody asks me, because, but I don't just generally use that term because I do believe in that you know, sin originally happened in the Garden of Eden. With, with, um, but the nature of what that means, if you've ever studied original sin, is they teach us that man is totally depraved. And that, that, that our nature, every aspect of our nature is completely absent or devoid of God's spirit and God's presence, which is not true. Amen. It's not true. We're not born an evil, wicked being. A child is not wicked and evil. A child is born with the capacity to be a, an amazing creature of God and a child of God. They're born with this capacity and they are not wicked and evil at birth. But the, the sinful nature that surrounds them and that they encounter very quickly and the need to survive in environments that are hostile we take on many thoughts and many ideas and many, many evil, even evil spiritual attacks that conform our thoughts and the way we do things. And so that's our carnal mind, in essence. Our carnal mind is an ungodly nature, a sinful nature that, that God is trying to remove out of us. And it says the carnal mind is an enemy to God because it's in rebellion, <laughs> The carnal mind is a way of thinking that is in rebellion to God's ways. When your mind, when the way that you choose, the, the, the lifestyle that you behave in, that you prefer and that you engage in is against God's ways, it's self-centered and it's, and it's acquiring what you desire, what brings you um, <laughs> excitement, what brings you immediate gratification, all these types of things are the carnal mind at work. They're in rebellion. It's an enemy of God. And the, the carnal mind is not something God is trying to save. The carnal mind is something God is trying to remove and heal us from the influences of evil and the wickedness and things like that. He's trying to remove. So it is evil. It's not the human brain. It's not your capacity to think and to function and to logically figure out and to apply wisdom. This is not the carnal mind. In fact, our human brain is designed so that we can actually receive the wisdom and the truth and the revelation from God and apply it in a, in a, intelligent way to respond to truth and that eradicates and pushes out the carnal mind. It pushes out, it replaces because truth brings freedom. 
Truth is what sets us free. Again and again, when the reality and the truth of God, it, it brings us freedom, it brings us deliverance from a way of thinking that was bondage. Sin and all of its um, ways of operating of that, that are missing the mark of the truth, missing the mark of God's um, reality in our life, all the way to complete and utter rebellion against anything good and holy and righteous. All those things, the sin of all those things is what God is after removing. He has made us clean and He sets us free from the controlling force. But the process of removing the carnal mind is the salvation that he's putting us into. The carnal mind is still there and still we are, just because we have been forgiven and we have encountered God does not mean that every aspect of the way that we are trained, the way that our mind um, operates in conjunction with our experience doesn't mean that it's changed instantly. We have to be transformed and have our, our minds removed, renewed. We have been given and have access to. That's right, because we talk, talk about these scriptures and we quote them as if it's done. Being given something doesn't mean you have it. Did you know that? In the scriptures, especially if you look in the Greek, when you are given something, it does not mean that you possess it. We, t- we, we quote these scriptures as if, as if they are true and they, they, they happen. You have been given all authority. Does that mean you have all authority? It absolutely does not. And this is where a lot of theology gets, gets jumbled up and people start acting as if they do. And the way I, I describe that is, is it's just like a, 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 a prince going out into the public and, and starts trying to get everything he wants. He says, my dad's the king and I have the authority and you guys have to do what I say. And he sits there and he's you know, telling everybody all these different things. And maybe some people out of fear might give in to it. But as soon as his dad finds out, he's going to go and he's going to grab him and say, look, you don't have the authority. This, you're not your kingdom. You're still a child and you don't have this. Many times people are, are declaring you know, that I have this authority and so, so I'm going to speak to, the, to this, this disease. I'm going to speak to the wind or I'm going to do this. And they don't have the authority that the disciples marveled at when they saw even the guy that they know. They've just seen him healing diseases and he says, peace, be still. And they're like, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Because he had, he possessed the authority. Being given something does not mean that you possess it. Because to receive is another word in the Greek, which means to forcefully snatch. Doesn't mean in a bad way, in a rebellious way to, t- to steal something. It means that you have the understanding and the capacity to know your place, which is meekness. Not, meekness is not being quiet. It's not being tame. It is knowing your place. It's knowing what you are allowed to do and who you are supposed to be. That is meekness. And so to, to take something means you know exactly what your job is and you know where the tool is that you need it and you will go and get it. 
And you'll take that and you will apply it and use it the proper way and you'll put it back where it's supposed to go, you know, in, in you know, our behavior and the way we do things. You're not going to leave it laying and it gets rained down and, and rusts and stops functioning because you left it out in the woods when you got done doing your job. You are mature enough functioning and capable to do what is expected of you and so you know your place and you're doing this. This is understanding how to receive. To receive what God is giving us requires maturity. It requires that. So in order to receive, and I've tied this with, with the principle of the wineskins many, many times, because God is not going to just dump it on you. He's not going to just pour it on you because it will hit the anointing and the purpose behind what he's trying to give will never be reached. It'll be lost. It'll be destroyed. And you will be damaged and destroyed in the process. That's what Jesus said. When you pour new wine into old wineskins, they burst and both the wineskins are destroyed and the wine is destroyed. So receiving from God so that you can possess and operate in his power and in his anointing is something that you are, are required to understand your place, to understand and know and operate. And that's why I'll, I'll just go back to the, the, um, the original sin idea. If we are just a, a worm because these are verses that are quoted in conjunction with that. If you are nothing and you are totally depraved and so we, we only have the love of God because he is so kind and so generous and I'm not trying to put that down because those verses are there and they apply in very real ways but they are misapplied to mean that I have no capacity to respond and I have no ability to hear and operate when actually God is saying the opposite. He's saying you actually are created to operate this way and you're therefore required to be this way, to stand on your own two feet, to operate and, and learn and grow and have the capacity to snatch something forcefully that you need in your life because God has made it available and he's given it to you. So now you receive it and you put it into practice the way that he intended it to be in operation in your life. Back to the carnal mind. <laughs> it also ties in with accomplishing things without God's wisdom. Kind of like the Tower of Babel. Wanting to do something and or establish something and operate without, outside of the purview and outside of the wisdom of God. This is rebellion. This is selfishness. This is, this is the way that the carnal mind works. It wants to build something that is not submitted to God, that accomplishes what we gain through, through operating in the authority and in the wisdom and the revelation of God. This is how it works. And, but it's not ruled by God's authority, and it's blind. It's blind to spiritual truth. And so it goes back to what I was talking about, about being able to see that ultimately this is the goal of, of every believer. This is the purpose of being saved on a lot of levels is for us to have vision and to be able to see. To be able to see beyond. And the carnal mind does not have that vision. It's blind. And it also is resistant. 
It's resistant to every aspect of living and walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, like I said, is real. It's genuine. And you learn to grow in this. And I'm, I'm trying to grow and learn in this and understand. And there's different things that I've learned. And walking in the Spirit is real. It's, that's all I can say. Because it's, it's, it's just as literal <laughs> as the matter and the substance around me. It's just as real. Now, <laughs> I'm reminded of the Valley of Dry Bones. I, I'm not sure every aspect of the Valley of Dry Bones, but he, he asked him, he said, can, can these bones live again? And he says, you alone know. <laughs> I, there's a lot of things that can be drawn from that. One of the things that I think the Valley of Dry Bones is, is human history. The Valley of Dry Bones is human history. And so God is looking at all these dry bones that are, that are dead, and he's asking, can they live again? And the answer is yes, they can be brought back together, they can have sinews on them, and they can be alive. That's the, the answer is yes, they can. They will be. Um, that's what the regeneration of the Spirit is really about. It's bringing those dead bones to life and restoring the ability to function and the ability to see. And I don't want to go too, too far into that prophecy, but um, I'm also <laughs> reminded, and I talked recently about this, the um, Elisha and his servant. Remember, remember the story that they were in Dothan and while they were there, the, the, the uh, Syrian or not this year, the, um, maybe it was, uh, whatever the name of their, depend, depends on the translation. I was just reading several different translations, so my mind's confused on it. Ara, Aramaeans, I believe in one translation it says, so I'm not sure who these people are exactly, but they're, they're, they're raiding Israel on a regular basis, sending armies, and, and Elisha is, is constantly receiving a word from the Lord, and he tells the king, don't go there. Don't send your guys there. Be careful. The, the enemy soldiers are there. They're going to raid you. They're going to attack you. And so every single time this happened again and again, it says. And the so much so that the king that is raiding Israel accuses his own people of being spies, of being traitors. Yeah. He said, he said who, who's the traitor? And they're like, none of us, none of us, Lord. It's, it's Elisha. They have a prophet. They have a guy who knows everything you do, even what you say in your bedroom. That's what they respond. He goes, he says, well, well where is this guy? Bring him to, go capture him. They, they, they look around, they find that he's in Dothan. So while Elisha and his servant are in, in there overnight, they surround the city. And when they wake up, the servant goes out and he sees it. And he says, Elisha, he says, he says they've come while we were sleeping. What are we going to do? And Elisha says, don't worry. There are more with us than are with them. And, you know, the servant is, is sitting there, you know, who knows what he, how he's responding exactly, but he's, he's probably like, sure, Elisha, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's, he's in the state. And, and so Elisha prays a simple prayer. He says, O Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And it says, immediately his eyes 
were opened. He's not talking about his physical eyes. He's already looking. He sees into the spirit. And indeed, the mountains, not just around the, the city, but the mountains all around are filled with chariots and soldiers in the spirit. So truly, indeed, not, not thinking about it, not imagining it, but truly, Elisha was right. And apparently, he saw this the whole time because he had sight in the spirit. They truly had more. There were actually more. And they were there to protect them. And I think this is key because I don't think that at all times that we are surrounded like that. I think some people have taught that. I've heard people talk about that, that we're always surrounded by more, more with us than there are with them. I'm not saying that we're vulnerable, but I'm saying not every situation is exactly the same. And so every situation doesn't mean that you walk out of the city when you're surrounded by an army and you have the ability to say what he says next to him. He says, God, strike them with blindness. Because each situation will be uniquely different. But in this situation, they had the numbers. They had what they needed. So he goes out there and God strikes them with blindness. And he goes and tells them, and they're wandering around. They can't figure out what's going on. He says, what, he says, Where are, you, what are you guys looking for? They're like, we're, we're looking for Elisha um, in Dothan. He says, oh, well, this is the wrong city. I'll take you to, to where he is. And so he leads this, this army of blind men. Yeah, they're not, obviously they're not entirely blind, so, but they are confused and they don't know what's going on. And so he says, I'll take you. I'll, so, so the guy they're looking for marches this army that just surrounded him at night all the way down to the capital and takes him into the gate. And it says, when they entered the gate, their eyes were opened and they realized where they are and they realized that they've been captured. And so the... Um, they, they ask Elisha, what, what, should, what should we do with these people? And this is where the story ends really, really cool. He says something that I just recently had an encounter with um, prisoners of war, that we went to the Museum of Prisoners of War and, and, and seeing the, the, the history of different things and also just why it's so important that, that people have actually done a lot of effort to, to protect prisoners of war. In the last 150 years, we've made huge strides to try to protect. Still terrible things happen, but we're trying to protect these things. But he says something. This is all God's wisdom way back when. He says, he said, they ask him, should we kill them? And he says, he says, do we kill prisoners of war? That's what Elisha says. He says, no. He said, feed them and send them back to their master. They just got the advantage, right? They just captured the army. This is foolish. But again, he has sight. He understands. He sees what needs to happen. And so they do that. They prepare a feast for these men. These enemy soldiers, they prepare a feast, and then they send them back, and it says this right at the end of that chapter. It says, and so they never raided Israel again. God's protection, his sight, his vision that he gave to Elisha, that Elisha is operating in. And if you remember the story, and I'll go back because this talks about receiving from God. Elisha didn't have this ability just because God just decided to dump it on somebody. Elisha studied under Elijah. 
he followed Elijah around. And Elijah, I don't remember how the prophecy exactly happened, but Elijah had, had told him that if he saw him leave, he would receive a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And Elijah was asking for it. Elijah was seeking for this. He had this desire in his heart, and he was going to go after it. And so he basically followed Elijah around. He was not, I, I think one translation even says that he was going to the bathroom with him in a modern translation, because he was so intent on being with Elijah to not miss this opportunity because it mattered to him. He had maturity. He had wisdom. He had desire that he pursued. And as he pursued him, he saw Elijah taken. And he received the mantle, the authority and the revelation in a double portion to Elijah's anointing. I don't claim to understand that a double portion. Elijah was pretty had amazing abilities, but Elisha says that after he died, his bones were in a pit, and they threw a dead man on the bones, and that man was raised to life. The double portion of anointing to be able to see. It says again and again he had sight that protected. It protected villages. It protected people. It protected the soldiers. It protected the kingdom and delivered the kingdom from these guys attacking. This is what spiritual sight is so important. It's absolutely necessary. The last one that comes to my mind um, of sight in the spirit not in the last one that comes to mind, but the last one I want to touch on is the tearing of the veil at the birth or the death of Jesus. That veil was torn and it was ripped. And it did many different things that you can that you can describe there. I think it showed, it exposed the lack of reality that they were walking in because there was supposed to be the Shekinah glory, the flame of the presence of the Lord was supposed to be there. And I believe it exposed that, that God had departed from their order because he was moving away and, and proving it, showing it. I think that is one of the things that happened when the, the veil was torn. But another thing that it does literally say is that it says many of old who had died were seen in Jerusalem. At that moment, and that's, that's pretty wild. I, I, I've looked, I haven't actually found anybody really t teaching on that <laughs> and talking about that. It just kind of gets read or passed over and not really talked about. That's a pretty flipping amazing event. That when Jesus died, you have people of old, because apparently people recognize him like, your grandpa, or I don't know how old, how long back that they're talking about. Um, but they were recognized apparently, these people, are alive, walking in Jerusalem. Did they, they, did they walk for three days and then when Jesus was raised, they went back to their grave? Doesn't say anything. Apparently they lived. Again. I, <laughs> doesn't say anything else about that, so I'm not going to add to the scripture and my ideas, but this is wild and amazing. But I believe he's showing us what the potential, what the purpose of seeing and having the ability to live in the Spirit, because because. The going beyond the veil was something Jesus opened up. It was one man once a year was allowed to go and minister beyond the veil. And he did that only through much 
sanctification, cleansing rituals and practices to, to symbolize what it means to be renewed, to be regenerated, to be cleansed of all these carnal mind and all these different aspects of our life, Jesus made that available to us. He brings us to that place to where we can be renewed, where we can actually live in that place, in the presence of God, in the Spirit of God, to see and live there, resulting in men living again, bones coming together. Elisha brings someone to life after he's dead. This power is meant to be fulfilled and, and ultimately completed through a process. This is, this is us maturing. This is us receiving, having sight, and operating in the Spirit. But so many times we decide to, to maybe this isn't the best example, but eat with the pigs like the prodigal son. He had the choice to live in the house of the king. As his father, he doesn't say he was king. Um, his wealthy father, with all those things, he chose what eventually became, because the choices, his original choices, were to have fun, to, to enjoy and experience life, to live in debauchery and sinful ways. And all his friends left him when his money ran out. He didn't have women anymore. And he ends up eating what the pigs are eating. That he, that's the only job he has. So this is the end result of our choices that many times we are making. We are choosing to not be and operate pursuing this in, in maturity. We are willing to accept many activities, many things that we participate in that, that are a trade-off. They are a trade-off to choose spiritual activity or to choose carnal desires, ungodly desires, not necessarily in the worst. I don't think that when he was leaving his father's house, because we know how this, this goes, Jesus is telling us a story, but when people are leaving, their goal is not to, in a lot of cases, not to be a terrible, wicked, evil person. They want to experience life outside of what they are currently experiencing. That's the temptation. That's the desire at that moment. It's not to become wicked or evil. But that's the end result. The end result is that. It's a trade-off. You either have the choice to live and operate and strengthen and, and go through the process of re receiving and, having, and gaining spiritual sight and ability to walk in the Spirit and move in the Spirit, or you trade it off and you have less and less of it that yields the control, the control of different dominating forces in our life. And we can, we can talk about um, the, the terrible things that we see people being controlled with where a drug addiction or different things like that are just completely ravenous and destroying their life on every level. But we can also must recognize that simply not having sight, not having the, the ability to see in the Spirit is depleted. It is removed. The inability to connect and respond and, 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 and sense and operate with discernment 
which is a spiritual gift. A lot of people think that skepticism is a spiritual gift or their ability to, to judge a matter without knowing all the facts even. It's not. Discernment is not that. Discernment is a spiritual ability. It comes from sensitivity, from receiving a, a power and an enablement by our God. It's also essential. You can't live without it. The church can't function and can't do what it's supposed to without it. So we are trading off again and again. This is, where, this is where we have to examine our hearts. We have to recognize this process in our life. Each one of us, and as a church, as God is moving on us, we have to recognize where we are trading. And it's not exactly a balancing game, but you are trading your, your, your choices, the things that you, that you engage with and, and desire and the way that you live are often a trade-off. And one scripture that seems to point that out very clearly says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but rather be filled with the Spirit. He's giving us an either or in that passage. And that, that word excess, the first definition, I've said this because I was really intrigued when I saw it, it, it means it, it, the first definition of, of excess is unsavedness or unsaved behavior. And so he's saying, don't be drunk because that's a trade-off. You can, re- you can choose to be filled with the Spirit or you can choose to be filled with spirits. <laughs> the, the, that's, the reason we call it spirits is because of a lot of that same type of thing, the recognition of that. So there are th- things that we engage with that are choosing that. And so God wants us to examine our hearts. He wants to open our eyes to recognize where we are giving up spiritual sight, spiritual interaction, the ability to actually see beyond, which is essential and necessary And the goal, the ultimate goal, uh, is to be able to operate like Jesus did. I see my what I see my Father do, and I do it. To be able to see that, we don't. We're blinded a lot of times. We don't see that. We don't see all that. We see glimpses of it. We see different aspects of it. And the more we respond to that, the more our life is improved. The more God's purposes and His kingdom is built. So we can't justify it. We cannot go on living in blindness. While claiming, like that, that inexperienced prince out there telling everybody that he's in charge when he's not, he has to submit to the process. A child, a son, while he's a child, differs little from a servant. He must go through the process. Even though everything that the father has is his. He does not possess it. God wants us to possess this. He wants us to understand and receive and operate so that we can actually have sight. God did not design humans to not see in the Spirit. Get a little bit farther. I believe that that was one of the main things why Adam and Eve immediately knew that they were naked. Because they were clothed with spiritual clothes. Their life, they're immediately changed. They were not able to see, and they had lost that connection. God's purpose is to restore that. Open our eyes, Lord. Make us sensitive to the ways we are living that are stealing our ability to see in the Spirit and come close to you in your ways. Amen. Be blessed. Until next time, go hard after God with all your heart. 
Love you. Everything lost will be renewed Long ago in the garden it was to be Now a dream fulfilled and you